Would you be seated for right now? I want to uh, thank this church and your pastor for your hospitality. Nice room that's been provided and snack basket filled with things that I'm not supposed to eat. But I can resist anything but temptation. So I have sinned. I have indulged it. But uh, I enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, we had a great time of fellowship yesterday. And uh, I got to experience uh, that Strouds. I'm telling you what, if you live in this area, you've never been to Strouds. I question your salvation. You need to check it out. <laughs> Amen. That, uh, that was great. Some of the young ministers in the church was with us. We had a good time just just talking, just visiting. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the day. Appreciate that very much. And um, I enjoyed being with your pastor and some of the other young men in the church here. But I'm honored to be here today. And um, I uh, have a divided heart today. Today, I can't believe I'm gone when we did this, but we we launched the inauguration of a of another outreach this morning, and uh, and I I wanted to be there, but uh, I wanted to be here, so you have to make a choice, and uh, so I'm here, and uh, I'm glad that I am here, but I am anxious to find out how that went. I'll be giving the report a little bit later, and uh, so we love and appreciate. Associated with him in this church. Amen. Count it an honor. I want to uh, direct our attention today to the book of Galatians, and we're going to turn to chapter 5, book of Galatians, chapter 5, along with your pastor. Even though I'm a guest minister here myself, I'm happy to see all of those that have come this morning to worship that are guests. that uh, you didn't have to be here and that you came to hear something from the Lord. I'm aware of that. I'm cognizant of that. I want to be able to say something that will help you today as well as everybody else that has come. We all need to hear from the Lord, don't we? Amen, amen. Uh, just recently, I've had uh, two missionaries uh, just a week apart preached in our church Joiner, who's a missionary to the country of Belize. I don't know where that is. That's just right down there on the tail end of Mexico, just as you're going into Central America. And he's uh, got a good, thriving mission work going there. And then Brother Aston, who's actually not a missionary, he is a native minister of the country of Kenya. And uh, he is the uh, bishop over uh, that apostolic work there. They have two churches in Kenya and uh, 27 or 8 in the Democratic Republic of Congo that's close by there and uh, he was with us in service and uh, the only reason I'm bringing this up is uh, I, I needed direction from God for myself personally there's some personal matters that my wife and I are dealing with uh, regarding our family, and uh, and both of these men, knowing nothing of my situation or circumstances or what I asked from the Lord, gave me a word from the Lord, and the second man confirmed it. And you know, God can speak to us through preaching. And the marvelous thing about the anointing, let me explain something to you. The anointing can come in here today, and it can do many, many manifold things. This person could be delivered. Another person could be healed. Another person could get an answer, a word from the Lord. Someone else could be encouraged. Someone else could be convicted of sin. And all that could happen at the same time. 
Spirit knows how to zero in on what we need. And I've seen a message uh, being preached, and uh, and uh, it's it's on a altogether different subject than something I needed from God. And right in the middle of that, man of God, just make a statement or uh, just an offhanded remark. I just feel like saying this and say it. That's, that was for me. In the Lord, mindful of us. Amen. Don't you love him and appreciate him? Amen. So God wants to talk to us today, and I believe he's got something for all of us. Book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 7, then I'm going to go uh, to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. Just two verses of scripture here that I want to use. And we read, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Who? Everybody say who. Who hindered you? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Without distraction. So Galatians, we read, Paul said to the church at Galatians, you started out well, you did run well. Who did hinder you? What happened? You're not doing so well now. Who hindered you? And then in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, he says, uh, I, I, I'm dealing with some things here, not to hurt you, but to help you. You're a prophet. And uh, I want to do something that, that will edify you that which is comely, that you may attend upon the Lord or serve the Lord without distraction. So, distractions are cast in a very negative light here in Scripture. And uh, seems like they, they have the ability to cause us a lot of problems trying to live for God and do the will of God. And so, I want to talk on this subject. I want to talk to you, preach to you for a while on this subject. I refuse to be distracted. I refuse to be distracted. If you let yourself, you will be distracted. There's never a service that you go to that there aren't distractions. A baby that needs attended to, somebody that has a situation that requires them to leave the service, somebody misses a cue, uh, you know, somebody drops something, uh, something in every service. A noise, a plane going over, a train whistle. <laughs> There's always something to distract us if we allow ourselves to be distracted. If you're going to get anything out of church, how many of you have learned that you have to shut out distractions? You have to concentrate. You have to focus. And this is true in every area of life. If you're going to be successful in life, if you're going to ever accomplish anything, you're going to ever accomplish anything for God, you're going to have to learn how to ignore certain things. Amen. You just cannot allow distractions to direct you and to take your life over. But you've got to learn how to identify what's essential, what's important, and what's a distraction. And eliminate distractions. Everybody say praise the Lord. All right, God bless you. Please be seated. The Bible tells us that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. It's very interesting in as much as devices is defined as snares, tricks, traps, and it speaks of the deviousness of Satan. All of the methodology that he will employ to try to ensnare our soul, to entice us to sin, to turn us from the ways of God. And yet the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. How could this be true that we're not ignorant of his devices? It's true in as much as God pulled the mask off of Satan. Amen. The word of the Lord. 
The Word of God, amen, uh, uh, teaches us the kinds of things that Satan will use to try to uh, block our progress, to hinder us, to entice us to sin, to discourage us, to cause us to give up, throw in the towel, amen. And so through reading the Word of the Lord, hearing the Word of the Lord preach, paying attention, listening to the voice of God, listening to the urges and the leadings and the promptings of the Spirit of God, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Sometimes things sound right and look right, but you get that little small, still voice that says, this is not the way for you to go. This is not the thing for you to do. What is that? That's a prompting of the Holy Ghost. And so through the Word of God, through the preaching, through the man of God uh, that's there to advise and counsel and lead you and help you, and through the working of the Spirit of God, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Now, there's some things that we readily identify as one of his devices. There are things that the devil doesn't even tempt me to do because I simply don't intend to do it. I'm not going to do it. I know it's wrong. I know it's not pleasing to the Lord. And it's just not something that I really want to do. And that's not where he focuses so much of his attention. But I'll tell you what he likes to do. He likes to be so coy and so subtle that uh, we are being affected without knowing that we are. And for those that have their mind made up to live for God, it's not the big sins that we have to worry about so much. Amen. You you know, most of you didn't struggle this morning about whether you were going to come to church or go to the bar. You didn't struggle over whether uh, you were going to eat a bagel or smoke a cigarette. You didn't struggle about a lot of things that people in the world are bound by because you gave those things up a long time ago and you made up your mind, I'm going to serve the Lord. And that's really not, you know, that's just not something you want to do. If you want to do it, you could, but you don't want to do it. Is that right? And Satan knows that. And so in his subtlety, he comes against us and he tries to deceive us and and, and, and then sometimes that doesn't work. If you've been in church a while, if you take living for God seriously, if you study the word of the Lord, if you pay attention, if you've been rooted and grounded in truth, uh, uh, error doesn't affect you. Amen. I remember reading a number of years ago, uh, you know, counterfeit money is a big deal. And uh, they've got, with the advent of uh, modern technology, it's gotten better even even uh, people that are really uh, uh, have an eye and are trained have a hard time sometimes distinguishing between a counterfeit bill and a real bill. In fact, there are certain countries of the world, uh, North Korea and uh, China and some other countries, that uh, they know that they have printing presses printing billions of U.S. dollars, counterfeit dollars, and circulating them and using them which weakens our economy and which waters down the value of our money because money's been put out into the economy. There's nothing backing it. But years ago, now they've started putting little strips in them, little uh, electronic indicators uh, that, that helps identify whether it's the real thing or not. But then, you know, they learn to duplicate that in a little while. So they have to keep changing, changing, changing and stay ahead of the crooks. But there was a time that banks had to have certain employees that counted the money and handled the money uh, that uh, could spot counterfeits. And what they finally come up with is if you handle enough of authentic money, you just know that it's not. There's a feel to it. There's something about the consistency of the paper. And there's just something about the appearance of it. You've handled it so much that's the real thing that, that, that you can tell the difference between the real and the counterfeit. 
And there's something about living for God and walking in the Spirit and learning the ways of God that when something is counterfeit that comes along, whether it be counterfeit worship, whether it be false teaching, whatever it might be, there's just something you just spot it. You may not be able to put your finger on it, but uh, 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 something's not exactly right. I mean, you know where I'm coming from. Amen. So even deception cleverly disguised does not always work. But I believe one of the most dangerous things that Satan uses on us, one of the most effective devices that he uses on us is distractions. Distractions. And so in this in this text, Paul is querying the Galatians and saying, What happened? What went wrong? You started out so well. You were progressing. You were growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You were making great strides. What happened? Who hindered you? Amen. That you should not obey the truth. And so, we read here, who? Everybody say who. Now this word who is bigger than just a person. Normally, in our use of English, when we say who, we're referring to a person. If I say who called you, then the answer would be, well, it was George or Jim or Sam or Betty or Mary. It's a person. The pronoun who refers to a person. But in its particular usage right here, it's bigger than a person. The original word, it's an interrogatory pronoun. It asks a question. When you just say who, it's a question. But it means more than a person. It also can mean who, which, or what. So when he said, who hindered you? He's not only asking, was it a person? But he's asking, was it something besides a person? Was it a thing? Was it an activity? Or which was it? It might have been all the above. But he said it's obvious that something has hindered you in living for God because you've lost ground. You're not where you ought to be. You've lost your fervency. You've lost your love for God. And so he said, who or what hindered you? Who, what, or which? But it doesn't stop there. There's another level of meaning to this word that's translated who in English. That word is why. So when he said, who did hinder you? He was asking them to identify what the problem was. Was it a who? Was it a what? Which was it? But then he asked, why did you let it hinder you? So we're looking at who, what, which, and why. So you see what we're talking about here is something come along that got them off track. Something turned their attention in another direction. Something caused them to lose direction or focus. And he said, I can't correct this problem until we identify is it a who or what. And you know, to correct a problem in your life, you have to take ownership of it. And this is the most excuse-given generation that's ever lived upon the face of the earth. I'm so tired of hearing the former administration and the next administration will say the former administration, the next one will say the former administration. They've been doing it forever. I just wish somebody would stand up and own the problem and let's deal with it. Wouldn't that be a novel idea? Amen. But, but uh, you know, 
Before we can deal with an issue, we first have to identify it and we have to take ownership of it. And that's what Paul's asking for. Who did hinder? Was it a who? Who hindered? What hindered? Which was it of the many different possibilities? And then after we identify the what. certainly was a distraction. And distractions can come in all colors, shapes, and sizes. And so we come back to the epistle of Paul to the Romans. And again, he asked the question, who? And he said, who can separate us from the love of God? And this word who again, we look at it, and you look at the long list, and it's not all people. In fact, just a few of the things on that list would involve people, so we know it's a bigger word than just a person. But he said, who can separate you from the love of God? And then he gives this long, lengthy list of the many things that have the potential to separate us from God and affect our relationship with God. Romans 8, chapter, verse 35 Paul said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now, how many of those are people? Well, people can cause distress, so maybe that would be a who. And persecution is usually brought to us by others. So that could be a who. But famine's usually the result of, of bad weather, drought, disease, insects. So that's not a who, that's a what? Nakedness? Well, maybe that's a who because it's us. Peril? Sword? About half of these involve a who. But a lot of them involve a what? And then Paul goes on to say, For I am persuaded, I've got my mind made up, that I'm not going to allow death or life. 
That's not necessarily who. An angel, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, we're back to who? Is it a person? Is it a what? Then we've got to come back and answer this question. Why did we allow it to affect us adversely? Why didn't we have our guard up? Why weren't we paying attention? Why did we let it go so long? Why didn't we do something about it? So many of these things in this lengthy list here could be defined as distractions. They're nuisances, some of them. And, and they're things that, that can take your life over. I'm going to tell you something you've got to be careful of. I'm just taking my time here today. That's what the pastor told me to do. But we have to be careful of when things happen in your life. You've got to be so careful that you do not allow that to define your life from that point forward. A sickness can define who you are from now until you die. A problem in your marriage can define who you are from now on. You can become a totally different person not an improved representation either. Over something that happens in your life that you may not have any control over. But from that point on, that's what you're known by. Why are you known by that? Did others put the label on you? You put it on yourself. Because that's all you want to talk about. That's all you want to think about. That's your reference point. Moving forward. Well, somebody needs to listen to me right now. This wasn't in my notes, but I feel so strong to say this. Amen. We've got to be careful about allowing problems and situations that arise in our life from defining us. Praise God. You know, I admire people that uh, have a, a, a handicap or an accident or different things that happen, and they say, hey, that, that's not going to define who I am. I'm going to pick up, put my life back together. I'm going to keep living. I'm going to accomplish something. I'm not just going to sit at home vegetating, feeling sorry for myself. But I'm going to do something with the life that I have left. And there's a lot more things that handicap, handicap us than an accident that destroys a limb or mobility or some other kind of problem or sickness. Amen. There's a lot of things that can get into your spirit that can handicap you. They become distractions, but after a while, it is a failed distraction. And so, uh, it's anything. The definition of distraction is anything that divides the attention. Anything that prevents concentration. It's that which amuses, entertains, or diverts. Aha. Uh-huh. We must be careful that now we're living in about entertainment and amusements. Amen. Your, your, your phone you got in your pocket or your purse. Your iPad. Your computer. Your iPod. On and on and on. These things are, could be tools, or they can become nothing but amusement and entertainment. And they can take your life over. And some people never do any thinking anymore because they've always got something plugged into their ear. They're always listening to some kind of music. They're always listening to some kind of this or that or the other. Amen. They never allow themselves to think. Because you see, when you think, sometimes we have to deal with things. And so we would rather be amused and entertained than to have to exercise our brain a little bit. We are in danger of becoming the dead, brain-dead species. Amen. Literal zombies. Sometime back, a woman in my church, very reliable person, I, I do not question the story that she told, was in a shopping center. And it was nighttime. It was well lit. You know, all the light poses, how it is like daylight. 
And so, anyway, this young lady uh, got in her, was sitting in her car, and uh, and she's texting. And while she's texting, she pulled the car into gear, and she took off texting. And she drove right into a light pole. <laughs> Said it did damage to the front of her car. Smashed in the bumper in the front there. She never looked up. She just kept texting. And she put it reverse and backed up. Put it back in drive and took off, still texting. Brother, that's distracted. <laughs> Isn't that something? But so many things are out there to distract us. Brother Howard, why, why are you talking about this? Now, I'm going to tell you why I'm talking about it. One of the worst things that can happen to a child of God is to get distracted. A distracted Christian is an ineffective Christian. Amen. We're, uh, we're, we're uh, falling short of our potential for God. We get distracted. We get to looking over here. We get busy over here. We get tied up here. And, and, and we're not really doing things bad, but we are so distracted that we're not doing what God wanted us to do. We're not making the main thing the main thing. We're being we're being ruled in our schedule. It's being uh, directed by by distractions. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. Distractions can be fatal. A distracting a distracted Christian is in danger of failing God. You get so distracted you're not taking care of your personal devotion. You get so distracted that you your guard drops. And after a while, you can actually fail God because you are distracted. So in our second text, 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verse number 35, he said, I'm, I'm speaking this for your own profit. I'm not trying to cast a snare on you, but that which is comely or that which is edifying is why I'm saying this, that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. I want you to serve God without distraction. Why, Paul? Why is that such a concern? Because when you get distracted, amen, you're going you're gonna to get off track. Amen. You, you're going to get distracted, and you're going you're gonna to miss a turn in the road. You're going to get distracted. You're going to be all over here somewhere in a dangerous place instead of in a safe place where you need to be because of being distracted. Amen. God wants us to serve him without distraction. Man, you know, distractions prevent us from focusing on important matters. Need our attention. We can get distracted. Let me just talk to the parents here a little bit. How many of you adults have children still at home? Can I see your hand? Children living at home. Okay, all right. Uh, you know, as parents, you can get distracted and not pay attention to your children. You can get distracted and and your children don't receive the attention that they need from mom and dad. You can get distracted and children can get involved in activities that are potentially harmful, but, but you missed it because you were distracted. Are you listening to me? Amen. And so it's very, very important that parents do not get so distracted with things of life that they miss what's important. Somebody say amen. Amen. Uh, another thing about distractions, they can wear you down. Distractions can cause us to become weary in well-doing. And all of us knows that a distracted a driver is a dangerous driver. I've been run off the road uh, by distracted drivers. I've learned that if you're going to drive and, and not get run over or killed or something, you're not only going to have to pay attention to what you're doing, but you've got to pay attention to what the other guy's doing. You know, you, you can learn that just by people's body language. Just a, just a few days ago, uh, just a short ways from my house, there's two major highways merged together, and uh, there's a turnpike. I-44 empties off right there close to just a couple of miles from my house, and, and uh, it merges there. And just past that merge on this side is a major truck stop. And so many, many trucks that are coming from the west, as they come off there, they want to go right on over across four lanes of traffic to get off. They just got a, you know, just a short distance. And, uh, 
And so every time I approach that area, I, I watch out for what's coming because, uh, and this happened just the other day, an 18-wheeler come over, the guy never turned on a signal or anything. But just something about the way that truck was resisting and the way it was moving, I just slowed up. Sure enough, he'd come right on over. He would have smashed right over us. If I hadn't braked when I did, he never paid any attention. The only thing he had on his mind was getting off right here. And he didn't see the little car right there beside him. Just about smashed us. A distracted driver is a dangerous driver. He'll get you killed or he'll kill himself. Amen. And and so uh, distractions can be so potentially fatal. A few years ago, I think about oh, six years ago, seven years ago, I did a wedding for Brother Steve Kelly's daughter, Beth. She married a man by the name of Larry. Brother Larry and Sister Beth got married. They had a really nice wedding up there in Idaho. It was outdoors. And it was just a real pretty setting up on the side of a mountain in the, in the beautiful area anyway. And uh, so uh, I was doing this wedding. And I didn't know this. I found this out. Not even, I don't even know for sure if it's been a week ago yet. No more than a week ago. And I called Brother Kelly, and Brother Larry was there, and he'd answered the phone. And uh, he said, oh, by the way, sometime, he said, I'd like to be able to uh, to do our uh, wedding vows. I thought he meant redo them, you know. And I said, uh, I said, redo them? He said, no, do them. I said, what do you mean, do them? He said, well, you know, you never did have us repeat the vows when we got married. I said, I didn't. He said, no. He said, remember what happened? I said, you mean when I got stung by that bee? A bee flew up my pants leg. Found a particular sensitive spot where he thought would be a good place, and then he stung me while I was doing their wedding. They thought the Holy Ghost was moving on me. I didn't do a runaway, but I reached down and crushed that critter. And I guess, according to Brother Larry, I never did have him repeat the vows. <laughs> so I don't even know if they're married or not. I'm going to call him back and tell him he's living in sin. He's not married. Didn't do any vows. Thought of that later. But uh, distractions. Look, years ago, Oklahoma campgrounds, open air tavern. They invented dead services there. They had a franchise on it. So we was having a typical service. They always had it in the hottest part of the year. They owned the campground, and they always had the camp meeting the last full week in July, which is the hottest time of the year in Oklahoma. But that was to try the saints of the Most High God. I think it was a test to see if you don't make heaven, can you take the heat? I'm not sure what the rationale was. We could have had camp meeting in May if we wanted to, or September. No, we had it. I think it was the third, either third or the fourth full week in July. The hottest time of the year. If it didn't make 100, it was a rare thing. And uh, we was usually, you know, as a race to see what got to 91st, the temperature or the humidity. And it was miserable, miserable. But anyway... We're sitting there, and uh, I don't know, somebody's up teaching, preaching, doing something. God's dead is what I am right now or so, except we were hot and miserable. And all of a sudden, this woman leaped up and went, She spurted out in the aisle, and when she did, the place blew up. People went to run in the aisles and screaming and shouting and carrying on. I mean, it was something else. I was amazed. And then, you know what we found out later? A yellow jacket had flown up her dress and stung her. So you heard about the Mississippi Squirrel Revival? That's an Oklahoma camp meeting yellow jacket revival. <laughs> Thank God for a yellow jacket at the appropriate time. I may have to turn one loose in here. <laughs> Man, but I got distracted. Let's talk about some distractions that need to be Identified and avoided, okay? Let's do that. 
Number one, I want to talk about Satan's emissaries. People that Satan puts into your life. Are you listening to me? To distract you. Ambassadors of Satan. Emissaries of Satan. Cooperating workers with Satan. They don't always know that that's what they are, but they can be. For they know it or not, you need to identify them. There are some people, if you're around them for a little while, you're going to leave confused. You're going to leave discouraged. Uh, you're going to be deceived if you listen to them long enough because of the kinds of things they want to talk about, the attitude and the spirit that they have. They have a way of affecting you with that and infecting you with their spirit. Some spirits are contagious. Turn and look at somebody and give them your very best smile. Do it right now. What happened when you did that? They smiled back. Happiness is contagious. A smile is contagious. Now look at somebody in the yard real big and pat it. It worked. I got your pastor. It works. He wasn't faking it. It was a real deal. How many of you know that yawns are contagious? How many of you know that negativism is contagious? You can be around some people, and after you leave them, you're questioning everything, everybody, critiquing everything around you. Amen. Uh, the pastor just got the church all excited. We're fixing to make a new thrust and outreach. We're going to do this and do that. And you get around somebody, hey, we've tried this before. Yeah, this will probably fall through the cracks just like you remember. You remember? You remember? Here they go. Well, God bless you, sir. We sure need more people like you. I'm going to put you in charge of, I started to say my cheering squad, but I think firing squad would be a better place for you. How many of you know that negativism is contagious? How many of you know that critical spirit is contagious? How many of you know that a rebellious attitude is contagious? Am I helping anybody today? we got to be careful about emissaries of Satan. And there are certain people that they will get close to you. They'll ingratiate themselves to you through through flattery. Oh, that can make you feel so good about you're the most wonderful preacher in the world. I'm telling you, you bless my soul every time I hear you preach. My Lord, you are God's gift to the world. Move over, Shambach. <laughs> Move, what's that guy down in Houston that got the biggest church in North America meeting in the Astrodome or something, whatever. Yeah, whatever that guy's name is. He don't believe nothing, but anyway, he's got a big following. You're it, man! No, there's people that tell you, you know, you just you just don't know what you mean to me. You're such a wonderful person. You're this, that, and the other. They use flattery to gain control. Come on, somebody help me out. Amen. Through little things that they say that they drop here and there, they can plant seeds of discontent. They can plant questions in your mind. Amen. They can cause you to question doctrine. They can cause you to question spiritual authority. They can cause you uh, to question the sincerity of other people in the church. And there's seeds that are being planted that can that can distract you. And, and if it goes on long enough, it can destroy you. And sometimes it's difficult to know who to start it. So we come back to Thou didst well. Who? What was it? Who was it? Why? Why did you let it happen? You've got to guard yourself against distractions. 
You know, sometimes it may not be all that. It may just be somebody that attaches to you. And they just swallow you up. They rob you of time that you need for your family. They rob you of time that you need for your devotion with God. Amen. They just kind of take your life over. And they're so needy. And they're so clinging. And they can't make it without you. And, and over a period of time, your relationship with God begins to go down the drain. And, and, uh, and other important matters in your life are not attended to. And, and other problems begin to arise out of because you're allowing somebody to distract you. Now, we need to help people. Are you listening to me? We need to help people. But we do need, not need to allow clingy, needy people that cannot be helped and cannot be satisfied from taking our life over. Praise God. Everybody say hallelujah. Now, let me give you a little, a little example from the Bible. There's this man called Nehemiah. God sent him back to Jerusalem. The walls were broken down. And and, and this city couldn't be uh, inhabited because of, of uh, uh, so much crime and bandits and on and on and on. And God sent him back. Said, I'm gonna I'm gonna send a remnant back, but 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 some infrastructure has to be taken care of. And God gave him a burden and a vision to go back and rebuild the walls so that they could have protection. They can live in security inside the walls of the city. And there was some people there that didn't want the walls to be rebuilt because they were able to spread terror. They were able to take advantage of other people. They were able to rob and plunder and so forth. And this uh, uh, group, uh, a little a little clique here, Sambal and Tobiah and, and Geshem, uh, uh, the Arabian, and, and they were opposed to this. And, and uh, Nehemiah succeeded in, in rallying the people together. And they were doing something that was thought to be impossible. They were actually getting the walls rebuilt. And the Bible talks about said in troublesome times. They had a trowel in one hand, a sword in the other hand. Amen. Half of them would be working on the wall, and the other half are guarding. And then they'd switch off. But the work of God was progressing. The walls were being rebuilt. And, and the devil's getting more and more antsy. And, and his emissaries, Sam Bowden and Tobiah and Geshem, they're getting more and more nervous. And so they try another uh, tactic. And, and they send word to Nehemiah and said, Oh, my, you're such a, a great leader. And, and uh, we would like to meet with you over here in a, in a city in the valley of Ono. Isn't that nice? I'm glad it was named Ono. said, come on over here uh, and meet with us. We just want to have lunch and, and coffee and we just want to talk about how we can work together and, and there's no need of us being enemies and yada, yada, yada. And Sam Ballard said, I knew, I mean, Nehemiah said, I knew they intended mischief. This was a trap. This was a distraction. And he sent mess- messengers back to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Oh, hallelujah. He said, I'm into something so great, so big. This is what God called me to do. I'm not coming down off the wall to negotiate with you, to talk to you, to listen to your nonsense. Amen. I'm just not going to do it. So his answer about going down to Ono was, oh, no. I know what you're up to. You're not going to distract me. And they says they sent after him four times after this sort. And every time he answered them in the same manner. You know what? If you're going to live for God, Brother Hilton, you know this. You've got to learn how to say no and mean it, don't you? There just comes a time when you just say no. I showed you, Pastor, an exchange of uh, text between me and somebody else. And uh, he's got to be kin to Sam Ballot. And, uh, and he come back again and again. I said, I don't have time to meet with you. And I said, I don't want to meet with you. And then he, well, let's just get together and have a cup of coffee and talk about this. And he, this is his long reply. You know what my answer was? In Disappointed, and you know what I answered? Silence. Silence. 
because he was a distraction. He didn't mean well. He had he had deviousness in his heart. And I'm doing a great work for God. I'm doing my best. Amen. I'm on the wall and I'm not going to come down. So listen to his nonsense. I've already heard his nonsense. It's going to be more of the same. Amen. Everybody say hallelujah. Just some things we don't have time for. So he answered them. Now, that's that's, uh, who's uh, that can distract us. Emissaries of Satan. People that the devil uses. They're not necessarily always devils themselves, but you know, they're carnal. They're not where they ought to be with God. And and they got a bad attitude. They've had a bad experience. And they got a root of bitterness. And they've never prayed through about it. And got it out of the heart. And everybody's tried to help them. And it's defined who they are. And it's been that way for years. And it's a terminal condition. And many a person has been pulled into this with them. And so, there's no reason for you to get pulled down in that same uh, pit of mire. Praise God. Amen. So, so the second thing we've got to be careful of that's distractions is cares of life. Everybody said cares of life. Life can just kill you, can't it? I'm going to tell you something. Living is sometimes harder than dying. I've been with many a child and dog when they took their last breath. I've seen them go out into eternity with a smile on their face and peace of God in their heart. I've been there when they told everybody goodbye and said, I just want to go home and be with Jesus. I've held their hand as they slipped out into eternity. I can give you many instances of what I'm talking about. Godly people, holy people, men and women of God. And I've looked at that and I've thought, you know what? Dying doesn't always have to be such a bad thing. Somebody's battle weary, somebody's worn out, somebody's been sick, somebody's reached an age that they can't do anything, they feel like they're no benefit to anyone else, they just, you know, they just reached that point. Death can be welcome. Somebody whose body's been racked with pain for five, six, seven years, and now their pain is over, and they're going to a better place. Hey, that's not the worst thing that can happen to you. Paul said. Persuaded none of these things are going to separate me, separate me from the love of God. He said, nor life, nor death. So we run right on by life. Or death. Say, oh my God. Death, that's a terrible thing. And you know, how could death separate from the love of God? Okay, let's say somebody real close to you dies. You don't understand why. What if your whole world's tore upside down, turned upside down, tore apart? And the questions pile in. Why, why, why? I know what I'm talking about, people. I got a phone call March 19, 2010. My baby daughter, my youngest daughter, 33 years of age, got the call that she went down to Walmart Super store. She's worked on her, tried to revive her. Don't know what kind of shape she's in. I'm four hours, four and a half hours from home. And I'm driving like crazy trying to get home. I didn't know for an hour and a half that they never were able to get her back. She's gone. Left two little boys. Hardest thing ever happened to me in my life. I can't even begin to describe to you how I felt and my wife felt. We would just begin to get a little bit of traction. Same year. December. Eight months later, on the 9th, on the 30th of December, my son that lives close by me just we got kind of a little farm area there, and I gave him two and a half acres. He built a house on it, so it's right there, basically on our place. And when he didn't show up to go on a trip with some friends, my wife went over to try to Maybe overslept. He'd been up a lot. Just went through a terrible divorce. His wife run around on him, left him, sued him for divorce. Bitter thing. Ten days earlier, it was finalized. And she went in there and found him laying on the floor in the doorway between the bathroom. 
was dead. Two children, adult children, 36 years old, very successful man. My only son. Gone. Okay. How do you get through that? How are you going to live for God? How do you get back in a pulpit and preach faith? How do you tell people that it pays to live for God? you got to deal with that. you got to get around that. And when I was driving home from Cabot, Arkansas, and I was on I-40, and I stopped to get gas, and that's when I got the call. She didn't make it. My wife's in hysteria. I can't be there with her. I can't get to her. And I've got two more hours. Because I made it in record time. I've got an hour off, four and a half hours. That's another story. God made a way. I'm telling you, he made a way for me. And, and every I-40 is a horrible highway to drive on. How many of you know that? It's a Friday night. Busy, 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 busy. And uh, all the way back to Oklahoma, every vehicle moved out of my way ahead of me and gave me the lane. I never, one time I slowed down just for a moment until an 18-wheeler could get enough speed up to get around another car. That's the only time I had to slow down all the way home. It was amazing. I asked God to open a path for me, and he did it. But I had some time to think and cry. It's hard hard to drive when tears are dripping off your cheeks. But I told God, I said, God, there's three things I decided, I determined right then I'm not going to do. I'm not going to blame you and ask you why. I'm just not going to do it. And the second thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to get bitter. But I'm going to get better. I'm going to allow this experience to make me a better person, not a bitter person. If this is going to define me, let's let's raise the definition just a notch or two. And I said the third thing I'm going to do is I'm going to use this experience to grow God foolishly, I'm not going to question him. I have not asked God to this day why. Has it come to my mind? Of course it has. But I'm not going to entertain that. I'm not going to ask him why. I'm not going to get bitter. And I'm going to use it to help somebody else. Eight months later, oh God, my son just spent a fortune and got custody of his three children. Now he's dead and gone. They revert back to their mama. You all know how court systems work. I don't have to go into details. For a man to get custody, full custody of his children, minor children, and mom be denied that, you fill in the blanks. But now they're with the mom, and she's doing everything she can to destroy all semblance of godliness. We haven't seen them since in December. I've only talked to him briefly one time in the last two and a half months. That hurts people. But when my son died, I renewed my covenant to God. I said, God, I'm not going to ask you why. I'm not going to blame you for it. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm going to get better. I'm going to grow from it. I just feel like telling you somebody somebody here is struggling with bitterness because God keeps I, this, this, I don't talk about this you understand what I'm saying it, 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 everywhere I go preach I don't talk about my son dying and my daughter dying it's too painful for one thing and secondly I just you know I want to preach the word it's not about me and my personal experience but sometimes my personal experiences can help people and between those two incidents, the same year, 
two of my preachers that I trained put into the ministry helped them start God of Works split off from me turned against me and have not ceased to tell lies on me pull people after them and I'm telling you that hurts that's the most painful thing that's ever happened to me in my entire ministry and everything related to it so people when I tell you that life can be a bitter experience I used to read what Paul said uh, for me to die is gain is Christ. I said, okay, that worked for Paul, but it don't work for me. I'm not ready to die. You know, I'm a young person. I got everything ahead of me. Life has dealt me enough bad hands that there's been many a day, Pastor, when I'd have rather gone on to be with the Lord than have to stay in understand what I'm talking about. Some of you do. You know what I'm talking about. Because God's having me talk to you right now. This is painful for me to talk about. But for your sake, I told God, I was going to use this to help somebody. So when God prompts me, I'm going to talk about it. You got to make up your mind. I'm persuaded that none of these things are going to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You got your mind made up, people. Do you love the Lord more than anything else? Is being saved your number one goal? Oh, there's going to be many, 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 many distractions. And when you, you know, I've come to this conclusion that if you live long enough, well, let me just back up and say life has many, many wells that we drink from. Some of these wells are sweet water and some of them are bitter water. If you live long enough, you're going to get to sample just about every one of them. Some people taste water from bitter wells when they're young and some people don't taste it until they're on up in years. But if you live long enough, life is going to shove everything at you that is capable of shoving at you. And if you're going to get bitter, if you're going to allow yourself to be distracted... If you're going to allow the things that you go through to define you, you're going to lose out with God. But you've got to make up your mind, I'm not going to get bitter. What am I going to do? I'm going to pray through this until I can love my enemies. I'm going to pray until I get this out of my spirit. And you're going to have to come back and pray about it again. And, I, and you're going to do all right for a while. It's going to come back. you can get over it. But just about the time you're getting some traction and moving on, here it comes again. It's all refreshed. you got to get down on your knees and say, I'm persuaded. But none of these things are going to separate me from the love of God. Whether it's a who... Or what? You've got to have your mind made up. I'm going all the way with God. Oh, I'm talking to somebody right now. Amen. I told you God wanted to help us. God wanted to talk to somebody today. I had no clue that I was going to go this direction and end up where I'm at right now. But I want somebody to understand today, you better get a hold of yourself. You better make up your mind. You can do it. You can make it. Amen. You gotta take on the challenge. You gotta take on the job. Whatever I gotta do, people, I'm gonna be saved. Let's pray right now. Let's pray, God. Come on, talk to God. Talk to God. And let God talk to you. Come on, somebody needs to say, God, I need help.
Yes, God, I need help. Some of you push things back for years and years and years and years. You've lost so much time. You've lost so much productivity. You've lost so much of your joy in living for God. But God wants to help you today. Come on, make up your mind. I'm going to change. Something's going to change. Oh, God. I've been distracted, God. I've been confused, God. I've allowed myself to get hardened. I've allowed myself at times to get bitter, God. Would you help me today? You know, don't let pride rob you of what God wants to do for you today. If you're struggling, why don't you just come on down to the front here and let us pray with you. God bless these that are responding, but there's others. There's others that God is talking to right now. Don't carry this burden back home with us. Let's bring it to the altar and leave it there today. 